Hello, this is Archbishop William Laurie of Baltimore, and you are listening to Catholic Baltimore on Talk Radio 680 WCBM. Catholic Baltimore is a weekly radio program hosted by the Archdiocese of Baltimore, airing each Sunday following the broadcast of the Radio Mass of Baltimore. We are grateful to our Catholic radio partners for sharing with us some of the content in this program and for the opportunity to bring quality Catholic programming to the Archdiocese of Baltimore every Sunday. This is Chris Gundy of the Catholic Review. With us today on Catholic Baltimore is John Lederick, Associate Director of Media Reviews for Catholic News Service. You've probably seen his byline all over the place on our Catholic Review website. We're talking with him about the 2019 Oscars, which will be broadcast February 24th, and we're talking with him by phone from his office in New York City. Welcome to the show, John. Thanks, Chris. So you see about 150 movies a year, don't you? That's about right, yep. So with the Oscars coming up, have you seen all the nominations for uh, Best Picture? And what about the performances in the acting categories? Well, as a matter of fact, I haven't because um, we do have some freelancers. And uh, if there are only one or two movies in the week, I see them. Uh, But if um, a lot come out in one week, then I divide up the work between myself and and the freelancers. So... On occasion, it just turns out by by way of scheduling that I don't get to see one of the nominees. Which ones have you seen? So I've seen, for Best Picture, uh, Black Panther, uh, Black Klansman, Bohemian Rhapsody, Roma, and Vice. That's a pretty good amount. You've only missed a couple there. What are some of the most redeeming things uh, that are about the movies that are being honored this year? Well, I think it's interesting that um, a number of them, there's sort of a trend toward uh, both, uh, I, I noticed this year that the, there were very good documentaries, and then that a number of important films had to do with uh, sort of real-life social issues. Um, so we can see that, you know, Black Panther is a fantasy, but it's also a film that has something to say about um, racial relations in, in the real world. And obviously Black Klansman would be along the same lines, although that's a realistic story set back in the 70s but nonetheless has, has an impact on um, our view of, of contemporary issues, I would say. Mm-hmm. Green Book would fall into that same kind of category based on a true story. So uh, that was an interesting trend. How does the Academy decide who gets nominated and who wins? For example, Roma, which you mentioned seeing, it's a foreign language film. It's got 10 nominations. Uh, my wife and I saw it. We were not impressed. It was a fine little movie. It didn't seem spectacular in any way. How does it end up getting so many nominations? Well, this is interesting. So I I think some voters, if you're a member of the Academy, you get to vote. And I think some uh, trend towards what we would call art house fair. Uh, So another example in recent years would be Moonlight. That was a very artistically done film, although it was wide release and so forth. I I wanted to question you. Did you see Roma on Netflix or did you see it in the theater? Uh, we saw it actually, uh, yeah, on Netflix, so we didn't get the big screen I, effect. I, I saw it that way as well, and in fact, the only reason they dis- did any theater distribution for it was in order to be nominated, because uh, if you're only on Netflix, you don't you don't qualify for the Academy Awards. So, but what I've heard is that it's a much better film in a theater, that it's much more engaging if it's on the large screen and so forth. So. I can't vouch for that because I saw it on Netflix as well. And I must say, I found it a little bit tedious, but apparently people who see it in the theaters have a different reaction, which is kind of an interesting phenomenon. 
Uh, it is, and, and I think TBSU nailed it. Uh, that's pretty much it. It was like, this movie's way longer than it needed to be. So, uh, <laughs> Well, I mean, it's about, the, it, for those who haven't seen it, it's about a uh, domestic servant in South America, or, sorry, in Mexico. And uh, so you see her doing the laundry and washing the pavement and going about her, her tasks, which are not very spectacular. But apparently it is more gripping in uh, if you're watching on the widescreen. And it may have had something to do with also it was shot in black and white, so uh, it's, it really does feel mundane. It, it, it doesn't have any of the color or, or uh, other kinds of spectacular view that you would normally associate with a Mexican culture, which is very colorful. Exactly. Mm. That's, interesting. That's interesting, yeah. I was impressed with the movie A Quiet Place, but it only got one nomination for sound editing, which is ironic because there's very little spoken dialogue in the film. Why didn't a film like that get more nominations? How does how does that work? Well, um, I think uh, it may have been under disability in the sense that it was a uh, horror film, mm-hmm. and the the Academy, for better or worse, is, is uh, usually not very open to horror films. Um, they tend to be looked down on for whatever reason, um, and so that may have been kind of um, obscuring its way or blocking its way to a nomination. But our free, I, that's another one that was covered by a freelancer, but he was very taken with it um, and quite impressed with it. Yeah, it was very impressive. And I think the acting itself was very powerful in that, more so even because there was so little spoken dialogue. Everything had to be expressed in their facial expressions and in the way they they moved and and the way they interacted with the other characters without speaking. Sort of harkening back, obviously, to uh, the dynamics of a silent film. Mm -hmm. In addition to the Golden Globes, the SAG Awards, other honors, the Oscars strive to honor the pinnacle of cinematic achievement. Is the Oscar telecast about actually honoring the best in cinema, or is it more about the fashion, the spectacle, and lately the politics? Well, I think it's become uh, more about that. Going way back, of course, you you know it was sort of a black tie dinner, and the focus was really on uh, honoring the achievements in cinema. But the it's become a kind of global broadcasting phenomenon, and so that it's somewhat about the suspense of who's going to win, but it's also about the razzmatazz and the red carpet and so forth. Um, so it. It's definitely no longer exclusively focused on um, honoring the finest in, in film. Your office, though, talking about the, the finest in film, the Media Review Office of the U.S. Conference of Catholic Bishops, which provides the movie reviews to Catholic news service clients such as us, uh, you recently put out a list of the top ten movies overall and the top ten family films of 2018. A Quiet Place, which we just talked about, made the top ten. What are some of the other highlights of your list, and how many of them are Oscar contenders? We have uh, both Black Panther and Black Klansman. I think those were the only ones. The favorite was rather too racy for our uh, for our evaluation. And uh, Green Book, uh, our freelancer who covered that one, thought it was good, but not uh, not a great film. And I reviewed Vice, and I quite honestly didn't think it was even a very good film, although Christian Bale does give a, a great performance, but I thought that was, you know, a, just too slanted to be a um, an interesting movie. It was just, let's hiss at the villains uh, for two hours. There certainly would be divergence between the nominees and what made it to our top ten list. 
Mm-hmm. And you also talked about some of the better family films of the year. What films showed up there? Just to go back to the general category, a film that I uh, was particularly taken with but didn't make it to uh, Oscar time was Bad Times at the El Royale. Uh, now, partly that's because there's a priest character and it's a rather intriguing uh, treatment of religion. But as far as family films, certainly Christopher Robin was great. I enjoyed Mary Poppins quite a bit, uh, Mary Poppins Returns. Yeah, so did I. I would say Spider-Man Into the Spider-Verse was a good entry for, for that genre. Mm-hmm. Um, and then our freelancer quite was, was taken with Stan and Ollie um, and the way that it kind of captured the fact, the, the courage with which uh, Laurel and Hardy faced the decline of their career. And they kept kind of um, pushing forward, uh, even though they could see the, the future was not so bright in terms of their careers continuing to be at the, at the apex of popular entertainment. Mm-hmm. That's one that I didn't get a chance to see, but I would like to see it. And uh, the hope is that as these Oscar movies uh, or as the movies you know, come out on, uh, on DVD and they're available on Netflix or Amazon Prime, then we'll get a chance to watch some of those things. Uh, after the break, we're going to talk some more with John Mulderig, who is uh, Associate Director of Media Reviews for Catholic News Service. And we're going to talk more about movies and the 2019 Oscars. This is Chris Gunty, and you're listening to Catholic Baltimore. news from the Archdiocese of Baltimore and around the world with the Catholic Review. Spending the weekend in Baltimore is just what Elizabeth Butler needed to reinvigorate adult catechesis at her Washington, D.C. parish. Butler, a parishioner and RCIA administrator of Holy Comforter St. Cyprian on Capitol Hill, called the Mid-Atlantic Congress a good kick in the pants. Nearly a decade old, the MAC allows leaders in Catholic ministry a regional opportunity for formation and fellowship. Co-sponsored by the Association of Catholic Publishers and the Archdiocese of Baltimore's Department of Evangelization, it began its three-day run at the Hilton in Baltimore February 14th. This is Butler's second time attending the conference, and after only one day, she knew the program would help her spread the word and encourage fellow parishioners to become catechists in adult faith formation. She hopes they will reach not only those looking to enter the church, but those who may not have received all their sacraments or who might need a refresher on the faith. I am trying to build myself up with catechetical leadership skills so I can take it back and find more people who want to build themselves up to teach this, Butler said. This year's MAC had more than 1,300 registrants and included a track for Hispanic ministry. The MAC featured speakers and workshops on topics ranging from building intercultural competence for ministry to the disaffiliation of young Catholics from the church to working on a pastoral team to sacramental preparation to prison ministry. As the Premier see, I feel like we have a responsibility to the people of our region to take a lead on things like this, said Christy Cabanis, the Archdiocesan Coordinator of Sacramental Formation. It really is time for ministers to take a minute and renew themselves. Dr. Jimena de Brock, the Archdiocesan Director of Catechetical and Pastoral Formation, said the Congress is a great opportunity for the formation of bishops to volunteer catechists and anyone in between. 
It addresses the needs of beginners, but it offers a lot for the seasoned catechist, DeBrock said. What we give them here is a starting point to continue the formation. She said it allows participants to consider the Congress's theme of prophetic discipleship and what it means for themselves. It gives them a chance to ask, what does this really look like for me, before I can focus on someone else, DeBrock said. The Congress is a great opportunity to gather, not just the local Church of Baltimore, but the region, to create a culture of ongoing formation and adult learning. To learn more about the MAC, visit catholicreview.org. From the newsroom of the Catholic Review, this is Emily Rosenthal. Do you want to know more about what's going on in the church and the world than you can get from your daily newspaper or local TV? Read the only publication in the Archdiocese of Baltimore that covers the church full-time, The Catholic Review. Pick up the print magazine monthly at your parish or have The Catholic Review delivered to your home every month. You can get fresh news every day online at catholicreview.org. Subscribe to the Catholic Review e-newsletter for twice-a-week updates. Just text CR Media to 84576. Find our app on Apple and Android and follow the Catholic Review on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, and Pinterest. Wherever your faith takes you, Catholic Review Media is ready to inspire, teach, inform, and engage. Read it today in print and online at catholicreview.org. That's catholicreview.org. For 143 years, New Cathedral Cemetery has served the needs of the Catholic community of Baltimore and Central Maryland. New Cathedral is the only cemetery owned by the Archdiocese of Baltimore and is the final resting place for many religious orders and famous citizens. 125 acres of rolling hills, trees, and beautiful monuments, the cemetery is an oasis of peace and tranquility and is located off Edmondson Avenue just outside of Catonsville. New Cathedral is dedicated to the task of tending to the mortal remains of our dearly departed and has many more years of available space. If you are in need of a burial site, vault, monument, or marker, or just a respectful location to place your cremated loved ones, our counselors will help you through this process and make sure the wishes of you and your loved ones are honored. Visit us online at newcathedralcemetery.org, like us on Facebook at New Cathedral Cemetery Bonnie Bray, or call 410-566-7770. You are listening to Catholic Baltimore on Talk Radio 680 WCBM. We're back on Catholic Baltimore talking with John Mulderig of Catholic News Service about the Oscars and the best movies of 2018. Jane, we talked a little bit before the break about some of the, the better movies for families. Did any of those get nominations or nods for the Oscars? And if not, why not? Why, why aren't family movies a little bit more honored? Well, none of them were in the major categories, uh, I don't believe. I'm not sure why that is. I guess it's hard for... Well, I, I certainly think um, Christopher Robin uh, was a very worthy film that could well have been seen as a particularly fine uh, work, but there generally don't tend to be films that are rated G or even PG, don't seem to turn up um, in the list of nominees for the most part. I'm not sure why that is. Uh, maybe they're considered, you know, if, if it's for children or it's appropriate for the whole family, somehow it can't be that artistic or it's not cutting edge or it's not gritty. Mm-hmm. Um, perhaps that's the explanation. You talked a little bit about Mary Poppins Returns, and I enjoyed that too. In, in a lot of ways, it is a sequel, but it's also a remake. 
the the chimney sweeps from Mary Poppins are the lamplighters in in Mary Poppins Returns. The some of the songs are very similar in in tone, and even when they show up in the film, the the kind of fantasy sequence with the penguins in Mary Poppins becomes the vaudeville show in Mary Poppins Returns. Musicals have done okay in the last few years. La La Land certainly received quite a few awards. But are musicals something that, that Hollywood likes to make these days? Not really. They've become a rarity. I think um, in a sort of cynical age, it's hard for people to accept uh, bursting into songs spontaneously. They are few and far between nowadays, but I thought this was quite well done. I think it's unfair that some people compare it, uh, or it suffers by comparison to the original, because uh, it has been over 50 years, and they're not trying to remake the original. They're trying to relate the film to that. But to judge it on the basis of the earlier film exclusively, I think, is, is unfair to the to the newer uh, work. That's a good point, but it certainly was a joy to see Dick Van Dyke in the film uh, in Mary Poppins Returns. That's a great tie-in between the two. It was a wonderful moment. Can you briefly explain the rating system that you use for movies? Uh, obviously, the Motion Picture Association has P, uh, G, PG, PG-13, and R, but what's your rating system? So ours is, um, it begins with A1, which is general audience, that's everybody. Um, A2 is adults and adolescents. A3 is adults, so basically all adults, this is a film that uh, you would feel more or less comfortable with. Our next is L, which is limited adult audience. That's going to be a film that the casual adult moviegoer may or may not really feel comfortable with. Let's say there's a lot of gritty uh, content, but nonetheless it might be worthy. Um, and then finally, uh, O for morally offensive. And that's a film that we are basically saying no one should see. And that would involve excessive violence, excessive sexual, sexual content, or... Uh, if you have a film that directly contradicts Catholic teaching, that immediately gets an O. Mm-hmm. So do you, when you're sitting there watching a movie, do you have to keep track of the number of times they swear and the number of sexual situations in the film? Yes, I, I try to write down every potentially objectionable element in the film, which kind of creates an interesting uh, experience because I also have to be keeping track of the film as a whole, but I write down every... Um, swear word that's spoken, every instance of nudity, every instance of violence, and so forth, and then uh, try to summarize that at the end of our reviews. And you're very good in those reviews of letting people know this may be, as you say, for just for adult audiences, not appropriate for teens, uh, appropriate for limited audiences, and you say why, even with some of those elements, there are redeeming qualities that make that work for the, the viewer enough that it would be uh, acceptable to go, and it, and it could be worth seeing. How do you make that balance? How does that work? Well, I think you need to distinguish between, let's say, gritty, uh, gritty or challenging elements within the film versus the fundamental moral stance or spiritual outlook of the film. So if you have a redemption story, I'm just making this up as I go along, let's say about um, a drug addict, you might be confronted by the... Um, rather unsavory details of life on the street going from one fix to another. So that's really not what mom and pop want to go and see on Saturday night necessarily. But if it is a conversion story, if it's about healing and um, it upholds fundamentally positive values, then that's going to be a, a, the redeeming context 
uh, for us. So what do you look for when you review movies, other than the, the items that you just talked about, those kind of specifics you need to look for? What makes a movie good, as far as you're concerned? Well, that's a mysterious question, because, uh, you know, you can make so many different kinds of movies, and I would say uh, originality is, is important uh, and very rare. There's an issue of visual style and verve. Is it well-written? What are the performances like? Um, all of those are on the, on the aesthetic side. And then basically on the moral side, uh, what kind of message is this movie sending? Uh, so we try to uh, evaluate all of those elements at once. I think there's a terrible tendency nowadays to uh, just uh, re, you know, they're sold before, so we'll sell it again. And you see the same thing over and over again. So really original films are very rare and uh, very refreshing when you do find them. What should our listeners and readers look for in a movie? Well, I think you would want to see the artistry behind uh, what you're seeing on the screen. One rule of thumb I often have is um, if I forget I'm watching a movie, it's a good movie. So if good a point. movie can take you up into, into itself so completely that you sort of forget you're in the theater, that would be, for me, a, t- a telltale sign. It's probably still subjective even in that. I remember seeing uh, Les Miserables uh, with Hugh Jackman and Anne Hathaway, and I loved the solo songs where they just they went in very close on the subject, and, and that person was kind of spilling out their life story in song. And as we left the theater, the woman sitting behind us said to the person that she had uh, gone to see it with, I hated all those close-ups. I just didn't understand that. And I'm like, that was so that you could get to know the character. I, you know, so it, even at that, you see that it is very subjective. Sure, of course, people, you know, uh, it varies from person to person what you, what you enjoy. And, and it could be a great film, but perhaps in a genre that you don't particularly enjoy. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I noticed on your top ten list is a movie, First Reformed, which one of your colleagues reviewed and, and put on that list. And I thought it was terrible, one of the worst, certainly one of the worst movies that I saw last year. So you see how that, that goes along. What one movie from 2018 would you most recommend? Well, let's see. Certainly I've mentioned uh, Bad Times at the El Royale, although there again, that, that is quite a gritty film. Uh, so it's not what you want to go into casually. But otherwise, I think... Oh, eighth grade. We haven't talked about eighth grade. Uh, that was a very well done. It was a wide release, but it was well done in, in a kind of artistic uh, approach. And if you really want to see, I think it's very accurate in terms of what young people are experiencing these days. And it's a little bit unfortunate in that it deals with sexuality among adolescents in a, in a way that parents would not necessarily feel comfortable having the kids see. But otherwise, it would be a very valuable uh, film for teenagers to see. And it particularly had a lot to say about um, the role of social media uh, for young people these days. Yeah, and the parents could use that as a teaching moment to then after seeing the movie together with their kids, sit down and say, let's talk about these issues and go from there. Exactly, because there again, the film is not endorsing the kind of hookup culture that we're we're uh, told is going on among the young people these days, it implicitly condemns that and condemns uh, the pressure that young men can put on young women. And so in that sense, it's, it's a fundamentally upright film, but it does have scenes that um, might make mom and dad cringe. 
Have you seen anything yet in the first six weeks of 2019 or in the upcoming releases that you think is a contender for the Oscars next year that you think really are very promising? Not really. There's an old joke among critics that January is where bad films go to die because <laughs> the, uh, the studios uh, want to bring, you know, if it's going to be Oscar bait, uh, they want it to be closer in time to the awards. Right, so that, so that comes out in December or November. Exactly. Or you can get away with sort of the midsummer release uh, and hope for the, the Academy voters to remember it. But mm-hmm. if, it's, you know, if it's before the, the previous year's Oscar ceremony, then it seems like it's so remote from next year. So I, I wouldn't say there's anything that's going to make it um, into the award season, but I did like a, a recent comedy, Isn't It Romantic, with Rebel Wilson. It's a takeoff on romantic comedies, and uh, I thought it was very clever. Good to know. Well, we've been talking today with John Mulderick, Catholic News Service Associate Director of Media Reviews, about movies and movie reviewers and the 2019 Oscars. Thanks for being with us, John. Thank you, Chris. This is Christopher Gunty of the Catholic Review. Thanks for spending part of your day listening to Catholic Baltimore. Life can be hard, and at times we feel overwhelmed and alone. When faced with problems, know that there is a group of Catholics who are part of the prayer ministry of the Archdiocese of Baltimore, waiting to lift you and your needs to God in prayer. This ministry is comprised of men and women, young and old, religious and lay, from every ethnic and cultural background. They pray as individuals and in groups, in homes and meeting spaces throughout Baltimore. Like you, they are people who have suffered the same hurts, fears, pains, sickness, loss, and everyday burdens. Learn more about this ministry by visiting our website at www.archbalt.org. If you are in need of prayer, send your prayer request to prayers at archbalt.org or by phone to 410-547-5517. Would you like to volunteer to be a part of the ministry? Prayer ministers are always needed. Please call or email our coordinator, who would be happy to speak with you. Thank you for joining us for this edition of Catholic Baltimore. As we prepare for the week ahead, let us do so in prayer together as one community of faith. Our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our trespasses, as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. Let us also ask the blessing and intercession of our Blessed Mother as we pray. Hail Mary, full of grace, the Lord is with thee. Blessed art thou among women, and blessed is the fruit of thy womb, Jesus. Holy Mary, Mother of God, pray for us sinners, now and at the hour of our death. Amen. May God bless us and keep us always in his love.